the Roll Pop Podcast. My name is Fraz, and I'm all alone again, but I'm still going to talk about D&D! Yeah, so this week, um, instead of recording a podcast, uh, we decided to actually play a game of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and we had one of the most epic sessions we've ever had in our entire lives. It was absolutely insane. We we lost a character. They didn't die. We just lost them in the Shadowfell, maybe forever. Hearts were broken. Tears were shed. Uh, names were changed, and uh, one particularly dumb barbarian became, um, became a teenage emo. Um, but that's a story for another time. So rather than leave you without a podcast this week, I've decided to get on myself and talk about my world. Now, me and Lewis have spoken a few times about the fact that um, after we finish the campaign that he is DMing, uh, I'm going to take up the DM's chair and uh, run a campaign set in a homebrew world that I am building. Now, what I wanted to do for um, the players is give them all like a bit of backstory, a bit of information about the world they're going to be in, because obviously their characters are going to live in the world have lived in the world, will know stuff, so I wanted to drop them some information. I've written that information, and I thought, I know, I'll just record it, and then you guys can listen to it, and then ask me really difficult questions about the uh, types of trees there are, and shit like that. So this is the intro to my world. It is um, from the perspective of, um, like, an information keeper from the world. Uh, Think of them as, like, a librarian or a historian, um, just speaking to an uneducated person about the history of the world that they live in. Here it goes. Hello, and welcome to Senkora, or more specifically, Western Senkora, not to be confused with the eastern side of the country. Two sides of the same landmass, yet inextricably different and completely separate. But that is a conversation for another time. Western Senkora, or Wesco as it is sometimes referred to, is a country shaped by a single catastrophic event roughly a thousand years ago, although records are sketchy at best. It is a place that has risen high and fallen low. It has existed in shadow and flame and chaos, and the people of Wesco live, albeit peacefully and happily, under the knowledge that, at any moment, the ground may open up and swallow them all, the sky could rain fire, or the rivers and lakes could turn to acid and leave Western Senkora in a second Age of Darkness. And maybe that is a good place to start, in the Age of Darkness. Sometimes known as the Age of Monsters, we have very few records of this time, or the times before, but what we do have paints a frightening image of what Western Senkora was like all those years ago. It is the writings of Conrad Celeste that us information keepers have used to piece together the history of our country. Conrad Celeste, if his words are to be trusted, lived during the Age of Darkness and before, and documented as much as he could, as he believed the only hope of survival was preserving the story of the people of Wesco and how they made it through the decades, although some say centuries, when monsters roamed the lands that we call home today. According to Conrad Celeste, Western Senkora used to be a prosperous, bustling, densely populated place. The cities that still hold their names today were great metropolises, teeming with people of all different races from all different realms. It is said that there were soaring castles that touched the sky, and machines so advanced they didn't even require magic to power them. Families grew, businesses thrived, and technology advanced quicker and quicker. It was a golden age, although proof of which can now only be found in buried remains, deep below the ground that we tread today. 
unearthed only by the dedicated miners of Wesco, and of course the imaginations of those lucky enough to read Conrad Celeste's scrolls. No one knows why it happened, but on one fateful day during that golden age, as the people of Western Senkora went about their fruitful lives, the planet itself cracked deep below the ocean. The ground shook from Valen to Temperton, and a hole opened up right along the seabed. The disturbance swayed the ocean and sent a wave as high as the clouds and as wide as Senkora crashing towards the land. The devastation was almost total. The castles that reached the sky were raised, the machines that powered the cities were reduced to scrap, and the people, all those people, were either crushed by the impact of the great wave or drowned in it soon after. There were, of course, survivors, although from what Comrade Celeste writes, these few who avoided a watery grave were not the lucky ones, for what was left on the shores and lands of Western Senkora once the sea retreated was the stuff made from nightmares. The ocean had sucked up scores and swathes of monsters through the hole in the crack in the seabed had made, and it spat them back out where the cities of Western Senkora had stood. Beasts and aberrations made from hellish magic and cursed pacts, monstrosities and fiends, both evil and feral, with lust for little else than blood. What people were left in Western Senkora after the Great Wave were forced to live in hiding, underground where the sun could not see, or high in the mountains where the mists would cloak them. And so began the Age of Darkness, the Age of Monsters. The horrific beings came from a place known as the Sift, a dark and hideous plain that exists beneath our own. The monstrosities preyed on the people of Wesco, mindlessly killing all across the country, and the people did what they could to fight back, but mostly they just tried to survive. That is, until the Purge. Now, in our modern times, we know to whom our land belongs, but back in the Age of Darkness, or even in the Golden Age before, the people of Senkora did not know that their fields and farms, their towns and cities, that their very homes were in fact owned and overlooked by the dragons. Yes, today we know that our existence on this plane is only because the dragons allow it. Galar the Red, Heron the Green and Ravar the Black, our overseers who made their very first appearance on the day of the Purge. Now, we suspect that Conrad Celeste's words have been dramatised over the years, and I'm sure the great Conrad himself took some poetic licence, but it is said that the dragons did not take kindly to discovering that their land had been taken over by monsters from the Sift, and upon this discovery, they flew with all their speed to Wesco and rained fire, acid and death upon the land. They boiled the lakes and scourged the land, ridding Senkor of the infestation that had plagued it for too long. The people of Wesco cheered the frightful shadows that swept up and down the country with beauty and grace and benevolent destruction. But as Senkor bows to dragons, the Sift bends its knee to a monster of its own, a creature that even our great flying saviours would sooner not face. As Galar and Heron and Ravar freed the people of Wesco, this great and terrible beast below learned of her people's annihilation, and, for the first time in her existence, Eomor, the queen of the Sift, flew through the crack in the ocean bed, into our world, into our realm, and engaged the three dragons in the skies. Conrad Celeste writes that the battle could be heard in every corner of Wesco, and 
that the exchanges of fire and force and ferocity lit up the whole sky for an entire night. The power crackling from each of the winged creatures was so brutally hot that it turned the desert to glass and then shattered it from one end to the other, leaving nothing but shards of burned and broken glass for a thousand miles. Such was Aomor's might that the three dragons, even together, could not defeat her. So, to save Western Senkora and possibly the rest of the world, they did the only thing they could do to stop her. Together, the three dragons grappled Aomor and forced her to the ground atop the shattered plain. As the Queen of the Sift riled and struggled, Galar, Heron and Ravar summoned their ancient magics and turned themselves to stone on top of Aomor, entombing her with their own bodies and sacrificing themselves to save their land, our home. The survivors of all those terrors were finally able to begin trying to live and so began the Age of the Dawn. The land was so ravaged it would take generations to build any semblance of civilized society and yet the people of Wesco could not leave. Even if they dared climb the mountains that grew atop the petrified dragons, beyond was a treacherous hike across naught but shattered glass as far as anyone could see, and the oceans still to this day swirl and writhe as it sucks anything that ventures out too far into the very same crack that opened up so devastatingly centuries ago. So they built. First they built homes and then villages. Those grew into towns and, and some into cities. They built roads to connect them and wagons to travel on. They built boats and keeps and schools and shops. They built lives, but it took many hundreds of years for they were not rebuilding what had stood before. The golden age of Western Senkora had been reduced to ash and memories, or it had been buried beneath the ground before the great wave had retreated back into the sea. But they kept building, and soon a country once again stood where before there had only been fear and death. Now there was hope and opportunity. The Dawn Age is one that the people of Western Senkora can be proud of, but as with most stories, the tale of the Dawn Age does not end in happiness, for with pride also comes jealousy and envy and greed. Accounts differ depending on who they're from, of course. Some say that the Dawn Age was a prosperous time where society flourished with decorum and order. Others say it was a time when the wealthy exploited the already downtrodden and sent the poor off to die in pointless wars. I suppose both could be true. Kings and queens ruled over cities and towns and villages and farmsteads. People who had never even seen the walls of the royal keeps would pay homage and pay tax. Guilds would take backhanded cuts on all sorts of deals. They'd implement interest rates and create loopholes that benefited no one but themselves. Religious organizations started with good intention, became machines of profit and scandal. Great swathes of the population prospered and an equal amount suffered. Among all the politics, there was, of course, war. Rulers wanting to extend their reach and increase their wealth and influence. That is, until the year of the Great War. A misleading name, for, you see, there was no one Great War, but many, many smaller ones, all happening at once. So many, in fact, battles and sieges and skirmishes and raids that the dragons themselves felt the need to intercede once more. And Galar the Red left their post to save Wesco once more. 
They say that, for a moment, everything from the sifting sea to the shattered plain fell silent, and the only sound that could be heard was the beating of giant leathern wings, until, of course, the great beast unleashed their flame. It rained fire for a whole day across western Senkora, but Galar didn't target the armies, though, nor the civilians, no. The great red dragon burned the castles and the palaces, the guild halls and cathedrals, anything that held a seat of power fell to ash. Suffice to say that, since that day, no one person's power has stretched past the walls of a city. No one has sat a throne or worn a crown. It is said that the dragons gave the country back to the people, although others say the country always has and always will belong to the dragons. So, here we are, modern-day Western Senkora. Our cities have the same names they did during the Golden Age. Our towns look the same as they did before the year of the Great War, minus a few gilded halls. The sea takes its name from the realm of monsters into which it tries to draw travellers, and beyond the mountain range made from petrified dragons, the shattered plain remains a deadly scape that, although many have ventured into, not a one has returned. Wesco is a peaceful place. It is a peace built from fear, but a peace nonetheless. Smaller settlements have become so self-sufficient that any coin has become almost worthless. Only the largest cities have maintained any sort of monetary economy, and even those are precarious at best. And as for the dragons, well, on that day that Galar the Red shook off the mountain of rock and took to the skies, some say... They caught glimpses of the queen that still struggles beneath, and those questionable tales had been enough to quash even a whisper of war. Gala and Heron and Reva have not stirred since that day, staying their post, holding Aemor prisoner beneath their petrified bodies, and today mothers will quiet their children by warning them that they could wake Gala the Red. Our dragon overseers have become our great protectors, our reason for peace as well as myths and children's stories. Cities have their leaders, be they individual or council. There are hierarchies of power, of course, but there is little ambition to increase that power or to spread it. Leaders who speak even faintly of such things, of war or invasion or conquering, oft-times find themselves trampled under the feet of an angry mob or buried in a farmer's field. The people of the cities of Westco may not make the laws or uphold them, but they are the ones with the real power, for on the day the dragons came and burned the thrones, they realized there was strength in numbers, and they are many. Peace, however, is a peculiar thing. A country without war is, without question, a happier country than one embroiled in conflict, but peace does come at a price. Happiness leads to contentment, and contentment leads to comfort, and comfort leads to stasis. Wesco is a country that has stood still in time for well over a century and, at this rate, we will never again see another golden age. Our miners unearthed so many wondrous treasures, machines from before the great wave buried under centuries of life that baffle even the smartest amongst us, but before anyone has a chance to examine them, to interpret what they could have been used for, they're stripped down to make shovels or axes or wheel trims. It seems constant peace has dulled the ambition of the people of Wesco, 
Imaginations stretch no further than what we already know, and so few seem interested in exploration or discovery that adventure itself has become a forgotten art. This all being said, Western Senkora is by far a safe place to be. Yes, if one remains in their home city their entire life, they are unlikely to meet such danger, but visiting other cities can be somewhat treacherous. Having no unifying council to oversee the country as a whole, each place has its own set of customs, its own set of traditions, and its own set of laws. Take Crestfall, for example. One can find themselves imprisoned purely for saying the wrong word. And in Phoenix Perch, magic of any kind is entirely outlawed, and the less said about the pirate city of Oroch's anchor, the better. Trade between smaller towns, however, is common. In fact, necessary. The closest thing Wesco has to an economy is the exchange of goods, be they foodstuffs or raw materials. Each place is rich in some things and poor in others, meaning that survival is dependent on a mutual market. Circuses and barred troops will often attach themselves to such exchanges and make their living entertaining those whose lives have become a mundane cycle of routine. And this all, of course, if you decide to travel, is dependent on managing to navigate your way through dense woods, sinking marshes, and all manner of hideous beasts. Yes, hundreds of years ago the dragons may have purged the land of that infestation that spat up from the sifts, but as with all extermination, it was not total. Some creatures lingered, and now Western Senkora is a wilderness teeming with monstrous life. Those brave and skilled enough can live quite a comfortable life if they are willing to rid certain lands of such terrors, a job that I must admit does not sound at all appealing. Then there is the ocean, a peaceful, tideless sea that laps gently on the serene beaches of Wesco. It glitters as much as the shattered plain, but is undeniably more dangerous than even the desert made from broken glass. The sifting sea hosts more monsters than the land, and they are far more terrible. It is said that great krakens and dragon turtles lurk beneath the waves waiting to drag ships down to the ocean bed, although sailing out that far would be a fool's errand, for in the deep waters the currents grow strong and they all pull in one direction, straight to that crack in the seabed and into the sift itself. And that, in a crab shell, is the country of Western Senkora, quiet peaceful, static, and dangerous, barely changing but ever on the brink of total destruction.